psychedelics are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Is a Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. I am your host, Mike Brancatelli, of course. It's me here, back again, with a solo cast. Gonna do a little storytelling, gonna get a little personal, gonna rant a little bit. So if you like these episodes, great. You're you're in luck, because I got a lot of things to say, a lot of thoughts on my mind, a lot of stuff I want to get out. If you don't, go check out... Uh, couple episodes back we got some great guests we had uh the guys from psychedelics today on we had kyle tierman professional surfer on we had brian normand on dr richard lewis miller and um yeah but if you if you like these episodes then strap in because we're going full mycadelic on this one today all right so thank you guys thank you for listening to the show and thank you for supporting the show um you know it's amazing the the support that i get and uh you know, our Patreon, we're, we're almost we're pretty close to hitting our goal. I think we're at $120 right now. Uh, the goal is $200. It would be nice to hit that hit that goal. Um, and, you know, that money helps me buy new equipment and new software and just kind of maintain the podcast and put a little extra effort and time into it and, and those sorts of things. So I greatly appreciate all the support. Um, and a big shout out, of course, to Barton Mason. And Richard, you guys are the $20 patron, uh, patrons. <laughs> so thank you guys so very much. Some news. T-shirts will be delayed until I get back from Peru. I have, I've been talking to somebody about the T-shirts. We're going to get them in. They look really cool. There's this Mike Adelic logo on a black T-shirt. And um, yeah, we're going to get them in. And I'm going to send those out to you guys who are uh, donating the $20 patrons, you get those t-shirts for free. And um, yeah, and then they'll have them up on the website for anybody else who wants to buy, or you can, of course, become a Patreon supporter and you get a whole bunch of perks. And some of those perks are, uh, for example, the $20 patrons get uh, a choice between a group podcast with me or also... I do uh, one-on-one Skype sessions for about a half an hour, 45 minutes or so. And um, I had a great talk with um, someone this past week. It it was so good to connect with the listeners here, meet them face-to-face, and get a sense for who they are and where they come from in their world. 
So uh, big shout out to you, Mason. Um, you know, uh, had a great chat and um, looking forward to having more chats like that with other people that are out there. Uh, I try to make myself as available as possible, try and give you guys some good rewards for supporting this show. And, you know, it means uh, it means a lot to me that I have people, you know, our numbers aren't astronomically huge right now, but that's not what's important. What's important is that people are getting value out of this show. If you're listening to this show and it's it's helping you, you're learning something, if you're getting value out of it, if you're just listening for the entertainment, you know, value, whatever it is, uh, that's what's important. You know, I get messages from people on Instagram, on Facebook. Please feel free, whatever channel you feel comfortable contacting me on, contact me. You can go to my website. I have a contact form that goes to my email. You can email me. Any way you want to contact me, I'm pretty good at getting back to people. I do respond as quickly as possible. And um, I am, uh, you know, I want to know what uh, what's going on in your life. Tell me stories. Tell me whatever you want to ask me questions, anything. You know, I really think of this as a community that we have here. It's a very... You know, it's it's not uh, your average person doesn't really get the kind of stuff that we're talking about here on this show. They're not really interested in these things. So I'm glad that you guys can uh, get something out of it and we can share this together. So it's really great. Um, yeah, and I, and I really enjoy it. You know, this is the reason why I do this show. I do this show to reach people like you, to open up conversations with people like you. You know, hopefully in the future down the line, if things work out the way I want them to, I'll be able to kind of you know, take this thing on the road, maybe do some events, do some meetups, do some parties, go to festivals, do that sort of thing. Um, I really want to, you know, really expand this thing and, and make it really, really cool. I got a lot of good ideas. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, just thank you so much for listening and, and supporting the show and, and supporting it in any way that you can, you know, and um, I guess like the reason why I'm so big on supporting the show and supporting the show and, you know, all that kind of stuff is because it's kind of like, you know, we're kind of fighting a little bit of an uphill battle here, right? I mean, I got into podcasting when podcasting still wasn't really known. You know, when I was back in the day when I was doing part of the problem with Dave Smith, we started that around, I think it was 2013 or 14. And now it's like everybody and their mother has a podcast and and not just that, but it's like the these big companies with a lot of money and a lot of resources are rolling out podcasts and it's making a, you know, it's a little harder for the little guys like me who are completely independent um, to break through the cracks and get some attention. So that's why I, I always say, you know, like if you support psychedelics, if you support liberty, if you support, you know, care and compassion and love and peace and prosperity and all those sorts of good things that I try and preach on this show and that my guests try and represent on this show, science and education and health and wellness, then um, you know, talking about this show and sharing this show is really so important. And, you know, doing those little things like leaving a five-star review on iTunes, you know, that's kind of the way that, um, you know, that's kind of like the signifier that like we actually mean something and we matter. So that's why I always talk about this stuff because we're, you know, we're fighting an uphill battle. You know, this is, this is what we talk about on the show is considered fringe and, you know, kind of out of the realm of, of the mainstream, uh, a lot of these topics. But, I try and keep it real. Uh, you know, I'm I'm interested in just in, in in you know I say that without any kind of caveat to a cliche because I don't care about those sorts of things. I just care about you know as Sharon Salzberg said. I was listening to Mind Rolling, uh, the Mind Rolling podcast with um, Raghu Marcus. 
you know, Sharon Salzberg says, I just try and sit down and get real, you know? And um, she was referring to like going, you know, and meditating. And that's really all I care about. You know, I'm not trying to subscribe to any ideology, not trying to subscribe to any sort of set of belief systems or, or anything like that. I'm not on anyone's team. It's just about being as real and as open, as honest as possible from my perspective, you know, from my point of view. And because um, that's all I can be. I'm me, you know, so uh, I'm always open to the fact that I could be wrong. Uh, I'm always open to corrections. I'm always open to looking at things from other people's points of view because I think that's greatly important. It's very important to see things from other people's perspectives. And I think that's how we, we learn and we kind of course correct and collaborate and ca- recalibrate how we understand what truth is, you know, because there's a lot of uh, different truths out there. Um, so yeah, I just, I think I, I, I just want to read a couple reviews if that's okay with you guys. I mean, you can skip ahead if you want, but I just want to share these because uh, it makes me feel really good. I'm very proud and I'm very uh, grateful that you guys take the time out of your day to leave these sorts of reviews. I don't know if I've read these on the podcast before, but I'll just read some of the last couple uh, of reviews. And this is just uh, what some people say, uh, five-star reviews on iTunes. Insightful and honest, listening to the show from the start and seeing the growth of Mike is very inspiring. One of my favorite people to fill my mind for a couple of hours. Audio blast. Thank you very much. That's, that's great. Um, Augie K says, one of the best. I went from listening to 10 plus podcasts a week down to four. And this podcast, I couldn't give up. It's great to hear Mike talk about various subjects with his guests and especially his solo cast. Aha, oh, you're in luck today. He's very calming and love listening to every episode. Exclamation point. Thank you, Augie K. Uh, Parge Marmo says, great show. Highly recommend. Five stars. Mike is a smart dude who provides plenty of insight when it comes to all things cognitive liberty, to steal a phrase from him. Not only are the the conversations he has with all his guests interesting, Mike himself is just a funny, relatable guy, making this show a pleasurable and easy listen always. Well, that just warms my heart to the core. Thank you so much. I'm humbled. Um, It's amazing. I heard Mike on Part of the Problem, just found out about this podcast, and it's right up my alley. Mike is very well researched on topics. Glad to have heard about this one, the jam, the underscore jam, five stars. Thank you. I try and stay as well researched as possible, but it's so hard sometimes. There's so many things that I'm interested in. It's you can't possibly know everything. So I appreciate that. I, I'm always thinking that I'm, you know, a little behind and I'm not really quite as informed as I'd like to be. But uh I'm you know, I guess that's good, you know, because I'm always I'm always learning. So thank you so much for that wonderful review. Fantastic podcast, Caleb one three two. Stumbled upon this podcast after hearing Mike on part of the problem podcast with Dave Smith. This has instantly risen to one of my must-listens every time a new episode comes out. Casual feel and talks about topics that most people don't take the time to think about. Would recommend to anyone who considers themselves to have an open-minded or psychedelic point of view of the world. Wow. Thank you, man. That's great. I, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And then P. Syndicate writes, Honest and open. Five stars. Mike is one of the most open and honest podcasters out there. He brings a lot of passion and personal insights to the conversation. Mike's podcast style is fresh and free-thinking. Mike questions everything, including his own beliefs. 
you know, these are great comments, guys. I, re- I really feel, uh, I mean, thank you so much. That makes me feel great. And, um, you know, these comments and reviews are, are a currency in themselves. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's incredible. I mean, that you took the time to, to write those sorts of things. So thank you. Um, and yeah, you know, I always try and, and, and remain the way that you guys have described me as. And, um, you know, if I ever steer off course, please correct me. Don't think that I'm uh, infallible or anything. You know, if you hear something you don't like, if you hear something that maybe you think is wrong, you know, like I said, message me, question it. I, I'm open to, I'm open to it, you know. Um, let's hash it out. Nobody knows what's going on, you know. <laughs> Life is just one big debate anyway, you know. It's just a journey. There's no destination. There's no acquisition and uh, attainment of truth and knowledge and honesty and, um, you know, information and wisdom. It's, it's, it's a continual process of it's always in flux. It's always moving. It's liquid. You know, it's liquid. It's, it's, it's a dance. But, um, you know, I, I, I've, I learned that. I don't know when I learned that, but whenever you learn that, this podcast has started, by the way, <laughs> whenever you, uh, whenever you learn that, it, it just, it just gives you kind of a sense of relief, you know, because you realize that it's, it's not, you know, I, I, t- I said this when I was talking with Hamilton Souther on this, uh, on this podcast. If you want to check out that episode, it's like, I don't know, episode uh, 40 or something like that. And, um, I said that for a while I had been seeking like an ultimate truth or something. You know, I had been on this kind of quest to be seeking some kind of truth, some kind of ultimate universal cosmic wisdom. And I had been living my life where I thought that there would be like some kind of big reveal. Like I would walk around the corner of the Starbucks and then all of a sudden like a cosmic surprise party would like jump out and be like, ta da, the truth. You know, I thought like, smoking DMT or like doing LSD or doing heroic doses of mushrooms would give you some solidity of having like an ultimate answer. But really what happens is it just raises more questions. It gives you a sort of a feeling of something's happening here that you just cannot put into words. And if anybody listened to my heroic dose mushroom cast, which is (laughs) pretty hilarious, but, um, you know, the, the message I was trying to get across is that you know, there is an intelligence that is beyond our understanding, and it's beyond our understanding because we don't have the tools uh, to measure what we're trying to understand. We have not developed the language yet. You know, so there is, when you, when you take psychedelics, when you enter an altered state of consciousness, when you have non-ordinary experiences, if you do get a, a kind of calming, remembering, oh yeah, I have been here kind of warm feeling of of love and unity and connection let's just say that that's probably closer to the truth than not right i think we can be pretty comfortable saying that do we know what this is why we're here and what it all means i can't say with absolute certainty that i do do i have a pretty good idea yeah but i think the real truth would just blow your mind it's you wouldn't be able to hold it you wouldn't be able to contain it it wouldn't be able to and i don't think there's i don't think that's the point you know it's like we're we're kind of we're always on this mission this search this quest for for this attainment this permanence in a life that is impermanent and fleeting it's just it's just so misguided you know it's never going to happen because 
And like I said, it's I guess it's kind of cliche to say, but it's it's just true. You know, the, if you can just realize that the journey is the destination, the exploration of thought as to why we're here is the knowing of why we are here. Then that's it. Like the seeking of wisdom is wisdom. The search for knowledge is knowledge. But you're you're never going to be able to attain it. You're never going to be able to hold on to it and possess it and put it in a little box and put it away. And that's so much of what our species wants to do. We want to exact our control over the chaotic dance of yin-yang energy of the universe, the push and pull, the ebb and flow of the chaos and order that's constantly churning out creative, destroying creation, destruction, birth, death, life. It's just that is kind of just the way that things you know, work, that everything is both true and false at the same time. We live in an ultimate paradox, and we, we just can't wrap our heads around that. It's not good enough for us to, 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 to settle with that, because in our hubris and our ego, we, we think that our intellect is so great and so vast that we know we, we will have an understanding. We will understand. I am a man, and my brain is big, and I will receive an understanding. I am the mighty Thor. I am a god. You know, <laughs> you know like Thor. You know, Thor defies Odin you know, so many times because in his arrogance, he's like trying to prove himself. Like, you don't need to prove yourself. There's nothing to prove. We're just here. And everything that you're looking for it is just in, in your life situation now and it's been here and it's been designed this way not or not designed this way but it's been crafted this way by you by the choices that you make what you choose to believe in what you choose to think what you how you choose to react because ultimately if human beings have any sort of power if human beings have any sort of free will which i think we do but I also think we don't. <laughs> Again, paradox, true and false at the same time is true and also false. And someone might hear that and say, that doesn't make sense, but that's my interpretation of the situation. Um, you know, it's, I love the, I, I'm you know I love this uh, this quote by Alan Watts and uh, I think I, I talked about it on the Kyle Tierman show I but it well it's a little bit I guess it's a little bit different but it's in the same vein you know he talks about like and there's a great YouTube video on this where he says all you know all life it's a you know the child is dragged along it's kind of a here kitty 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 and you get to the next thing and it's you know the dangling of the carrot on the stick like you go to kindergarten and then it's all about getting to the next place. You got to graduate and you got to keep going and you get to elementary school and then you got to keep going because that big thing, it's coming, it's coming. You know, you get to junior high, you get to high school and then you go off to college and then, you know, you graduate from college and now it's onto the real business of the real world and it's coming. That thing is coming and that carrot on the stick is being dragged along and you're waiting for that thing and you're working and you're sacrificing the present for the future and you're always expecting and you're always wanting and you're always yearning. And then one day, you're 45 years old, you're caught up in some racket where you're selling insurance or something like that. And this is Alan Watts that's saying this. And he says, uh, and you missed the point. The whole time, 
It was a musical thing. And you were supposed to dance. You know? I, I love that. It's beautiful. Because that seems like it's more likely to be true to me than false. Life is a musical thing. When you sing, you are singing for the joy of singing. You know, when you hear a song, you listen to the song, you're, you're not waiting for the end. You know, you're listening, you're enjoying the song. When you dance, you know, the goal is to dance, to just do the dancing. It's not to complete the dancing, but to do the dancing. You know, when we live here on earth, the point isn't to get to some end, to get to some achievement, some thing, to attain things. It's just to be fully in the present moment now, right now. The point of life is living. Life is living. Living is life. And we've lost a lot of that in our Western culture. You know, we We've really lost a lot of that. You know, the, 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 the systems that we have in, invented in order to kind of curb the chaos of our world have actually imprisoned us and enslaved us, either by mistake or because they got out of control or because, like I said, our hubris and our ego, we think that we can control these things, that we think we can bring more order into being by creating systems that are larger than human beings, that there are these institutions that we think that they're going to serve us, but we wind up serving them and becoming slaves to them and their worship. And, and they have robbed us of the one thing that you just cannot buy, the one thing that's irreplaceable, that one thing is that time that's slipping away right now. The time to, the time to say what you want to say is now. The time to do what you want to do is right now. The time to be the person you are meant to be is right fucking now. The time to live your life is now. Life is happening now. It's not a movie, you know, there's, it's not later. You, you're not going to be able to, you know, it's, it's just, it's in real time. You know, this is a, a play is happening. And, you know, a lot of people forgot their lines and forgot the script, but you got to get in the game and you got to, and you got to play, you know? Because it's the time is now. It's 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 not some cliche hacky thing to say. It's the actual truth, and that doesn't mean go and you know have a a birthday. You know, go and have a roller coaster rides every day, and you know do crazy things, and you know treat people shitty. No, that means to fully soak up the richness of whatever situation you find yourself in, both the pain and the pleasure of it, a full moment of it. You know, if you're living in your mom's basement right now. And you want to get out, don't dwell in sadness and desperation and, and anger. Realize what choices you made to get yourself there. Realize what choices you need to make to get yourself out. And while you're there, enjoy the game of being there. Enjoy the situation as much as you possibly can, always, because the worry, the anxiety, the anger actually doesn't produce anything positive in helping you get forward. Now, obviously, this is easier said than done because sometimes we need to feel that pain. We need to feel that anguish. We need to feel that despair. We're human beings. We're feeling creatures. So we need to feel those things sometimes in order to experience what it feels like to be in that kind of position, to, to have those emotions. And what are you going to do about it? 
that's where your choices come down. Every choice, you know, I mean, you can make choices, but you're going to, there's going to be sacrifices. You're going to have to pay the price for the choices that you make, but is it worth it to you? That's the ultimate question. Is the game worth the salt, the squeeze? Is the juice worth the squeeze? Is, is it worth it? And if it's worth it, then go for it because you're, gonna, you're, you're either going to go for it now or you're never going to go for it. Or you're going to go for it when it's too late and you're going to wish that you had gone for it then. And this happens to everybody. I have, I think this way. In hindsight, everything looks so much better, right? I should have made better decisions. I should have made better choices. So I constantly have to remind myself that, you know, to fully soak in the now and to do the best I can with what I'm given in my life situation, with what I've been born with and born into and the capacity for knowledge and understanding that I have and the ability for, you know, uh, charisma or, you know, whatever, the, the ability to meet people and, and stuff like that. I just have to use the abilities and talents that have been given to me, understand the weaknesses that I have, try and improve. And that's what everybody has to do. You know, it's not, I'm not telling you that you need to be perfect because you don't. There's no such thing as perfection. There's only, I mean, there is perfection. The perfection is actually imperfection. That's what makes it, everything so perfect. You know, if you ever hear like Buddhist people or kind of new agey people say, it's all perfect, everything's perfect. You know, I've probably said that on this show. But what I mean by that is when you understand that everything is imperfect and it's always going to be imperfect and that we're never going to live in a, in a, you know, a miraculous uh, utopian land, that you realize that you know, it is perfect. It is perfect in its in, in imperfections. Because otherwise, like I said, the, the game wouldn't be worth it. The game, you, when you play a game, you want a game to be challenging. You want a game to have levels. You don't want to just you know, win the game if it's video games or sports. You know, the best opponent is an opponent that challenges you and that's like, you know, maybe just as good as you or slightly better and, and you keep pushing and finally maybe you win. You know, it's you want someone to challenge you and you want like a, a good victory. You want a good you know, as the ancient samurais would say, a good death. You know, and I forget what that was. It was like the Indians that were the Native Americans that were riding into the battle, I think, with General Custer who said, Today's a good day to die. You know, they understood this kind of stuff fully. But, you know, the, 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 this, this whole message, right? It's just like it's so hard to, to, for this message to penetrate the mainstream fucking, you know, Instagram culture or whatever. Everybody's always trying to get you to be someone that you're not, be somebody else, buy something else, you know, cover up, feel, you know, don't feel any emotions, don't express yourself, don't think you know, things that diverge from the normal way of thinking, you don't want to be a weirdo, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. You know, it's bullshit. You know, they, they have robbed us of that one thing, that time that you can't get back because, you know, they, they basically, they, they would have like, you know, it's like they want you to think that you have the time later, but you don't, you know, you don't have the time later. You're, you, you're really, you can't, you can't really guarantee that you're going to be around later either, right? So it's just, it's like, you know, we're forced into this system called civilization. We're forced into this programming. We're forced into this kind of cruel game of this treadmill of attachment and attainment of the, of the things that are impermanent, but they kind of trick you into thinking that you can have them and, and be permanent. You know, it's like the striving for something that never comes. 
and never will come because like I said, it's all just, it's here, you know? And, you know, really it's just that this, this life that we find ourselves in. And I think a part of what I try and do is just try and communicate to people that it's a hoax. Like we're being had. This is like, it's an illusion. Everything that they're telling you that you, that you should want to feel, you know, joy and pleasure, everything that they're telling you, you should strive for. It's all backwards. It's all wrong. You know, Christopher Ryan, who hosts Tangentially Speaking and author of Sex at Dawn, talks about, um, talks about this. I and mean, he's writing a book called Civilized to Death. I can't wait till it comes out. I'm really excited to read it. You know, I pretty much agree with him on, on almost everything, except we have a few disagreements. Um, but, but where I do agree with him on is, is this sort of thing where civilization, modern civilization, is essentially built on this assumption that more is better, that, that this thing that we call progress is better, that it's getting us to somewhere, that there's technological innovation to make things more efficient so you can get your packages delivered by Amazon quicker, so you can check out at the grocery store, so you can, you know, do, so you can find parking spaces better, like efficiency and, you know, all this kind of stuff means that there's a real progress going on, that, you know, civilization, we're building this thing and it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, we're all a part of it, but it's like, what is it really doing for you and your life and your heart and your mind and your being right now? You know, what, what is it, how is it really serving you as an individual? You know, are you really feeling fulfilled when you wake up in the morning, when you go to work, when you do the things that you do, or are you just constantly convincing yourself, this is what you should feel, this is what you should want, this is what you should get, this is what you should think. And if that's the case, you know it's wrong. If you are, de- if you are denying your inner voice, you're on the wrong path. You got to get on the right path. You got to listen to that inner voice because that inner voice is right. It's always right. Your intuition is correct. Your gut instinct is correct. The, the intestines, the gut has a microbiome in it that has nerve endings and neurons. and It's like a second brain. They call it the second brain. The, the brain, the connection from what you eat to what you think is strong. It's powerful. You know, it's and, and how you, when you feel, when you get a feeling and an intuition, you're usually right. Go with it. Listen to it, you know? Because there's people out there who are totally okay with taking advantage of you, manipulating you and deceiving you. And, you know, it's not that it, it you know, it's, it would be lovely if we could live in a world where there wasn't people like that. But that's just not the world that we live in. So we have to arm ourselves and protect ourselves and be smarter than that. And not everybody is going to be. But we need to have more people on our side than on their side. Because when, when there's more people on their side, then we're living in a pit of misery. Then we're living in a mechanized machine world that's cold, dark, empty, vapid, soulless, and, you know, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of that in the mainstream. I see a lot of the, the, that kind of that value system being projected upon the youth. And it's, it's toxic. It's really toxic. So this is why this message is very important. A message of, of you know, just knowing what you are and who you are and, and valuing the right things and realizing that 
you don't have to be on this treadmill of civilization, this what I like to call, you know, a meat grinder. You know, it's just they they it's this system that we've created that just feeds the the predatory parasites at the top who have you know, are probably sociopaths and, and psychopaths, and they have no emotion, no empathy, and they don't really care about anybody else except for their needs and their wants. And, you know, like I said, there's always going to be people like that. You know, we can say, oh, there shouldn't be people like that, but there just is. And we're ne- nothing we're ever going to do is going to teach, you know, the, that, that, that out of existence, but we can inform and educate people not to follow in that hierarchy. And this is why I think that, you know, this is, if there's like a main thesis to like my argument, it's basically that most of what we have established as the uh, ruling system of power in, you know, the Western world or in the world today, rather for that matter, is a system that is predicated on force and coercion that relies heavily on violence and threats of violence in order to carry out its plans and its agendas. And, you know, that will always be in existence. But the power that we have is to choose not to believe in it. And the best analogy that I could, that I could think of, and I think, you know, Dave Smith used to talk about this a lot, and part of the problem is the Lord of the Rings. The ring is too powerful for anyone to wield. You know, even Gandalf says, no, I could not take that ring because I would be corrupted by it. Even the great wizard Gandalf would be corrupted by it. The ring corrupts. The power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I think I botched that, but you know what I'm saying. So it's it's our ego and hubris to think that we can create these systems of control and that they could actually serve us. But what happens all the time, every time, and it's been proven throughout history with every empire that's risen and fallen, is that we get controlled by the systems of power that we create. Men get corrupted because, of course, you give institutions to people, that, that you give these institutions that naturally attract parasites and sociopaths and leeches and just evil and corrupt people. You give them a monopoly on force and coercion and violence, and of course, they're going to use it. They're not going to resist and be Jedis. I mean, even the Jedi got got tempted, you know? <laughs> so it's extremely hard to give somebody ultimate power and have them you know, obey and respect people, you know? Like, I don't claim to be able to wield power like that, so I don't want it. I think that power should be abolished. That we should all awaken, and should, I hope that people can awaken to the fact that we don't need central authoritarian dictates and mandates from from systems that tell us, you know, give us orders. That we can, we don't need to believe in this system. But of course, there's a great fear that we need a system to control things and to keep things in order. When in fact, the opposite is true. There's too much order, which leads to turmoil and despair and hopelessness, and oppression, slavery, and and theft, and taxation, you know, taxation is theft, I just said that, like, word association, Um, you know, violence, and, and murder, and it becomes normalized in our culture, and generations are born into the ongoing perpetual wars, and the ongoing crimes that happen, and it just become. it's not it's like fish in water. They don't even see it because it's, they're just, they've been used to it. 
you know, they're used to things being this way. So it just seems normal to them. And that's the saddest thing. The saddest thing is the normalizing of this sort of culture, this toxic culture that we have that has been created and perpetuated by people that believe in, uh, you know, a state run society, a mandatory state run society. Because when you have a group of people that are allowed to dictate orders and say, obey us or else, men with guns to, to, to rule over people, and that is an accepted belief system within the society, then that's where trouble happens because then you have people who will cheerlead for that system. And that's what scares me too. You know, like Larkin Rose says, I don't fear, you know, one silly guy with a mustache who, you know, yells and screams orders. I fear all the mindless zombie people that hallucinate him to have power in the first place. The people that willing, that, that blindly obey orders, that don't question orders, the people that, that, that carry out you know the the shipping of the people to the concentration camps the people that are that occupy the the gulag you know the the people that 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 just follow orders that just get zombie trance like indoctrinated into a system where they think that they're the good guys you know one of the things that star wars talks about all the time is truth is always a point of view right so from the Nazis' point of view, you know, this isn't like comic books where there's just like, we are evil and we're just going to be evil. It's like they think from their point of view that they are doing something that's correct. Obviously, they're not because they're drunk with the power that the people have given them. So, you know, this is a very complicated thing, but basically, ever since the rise of what we call civilization, civilization has been created out of slavery, you know, that there has been turmoil and problems for the common people. There has been a lot of problems for the common people by the state-run thugs. And now the state-run thugs create and set the precedent and establish the hierarchy of behavior. The behavior that's emulated to, you know, the, the, they emulate the behavior that the state sets out. The state rewards the the behavior of the people that emulate them the best. That does you know like Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. Oh yeah, he's a good guy connecting the world. Like no, no, he's playing to the state ordered playbook. He's playing to the the the, the parasite, you know, sociopath mentality. The bankers, the the college institutions that rely on federal grants and funding and all this kind of stuff. They play to the rules that the game, the, the rulers of the game have set, you know, and that's where the problem lies. That's why so many things are messed up. It's not because people are evil or mean. It's because people are trying to save their own ass and survive and, and thrive. People want to make money. They want to have families. They want to have a good life. So they figure if I play by the rule book that the state lies out, then, you know, it should, things should be good. But every time you do that, you sacrifice your integrity, you sacrifice your true beliefs, you sacrifice who you really are and what you really think is right and wrong. You sacrifice and replace, you know, your virtues and your morals. You're, you know, you give yourself away to these other things, these entities that don't care about you as an individual human being that's thinking and feeling. They don't care about these, you don't care about relationships of family and church and community and these sorts of things. They want to destroy all those things. They want to destroy all that stuff so that the one religion, the one worship, 
the one, you know, reliance is is upon them. You know, they they, they want to be they want to make you dependent on them. So you'll keep, you know, putting money in the jar. You'll keep pulling the levers and those sorts of things. But this is, you know, this this got a little off off topic. I mean, I, I didn't really want to get too into this stuff today because you guys have heard me talk about this plenty of times before, but it might play into what I want to talk about next because the the mentality of the aggressive, toxic bullies at the top you know, if there is any sort of truth to a trickle-down effect, it is that the behaviors that are set by the leaders do trickle down. And people do, you know, emulate those behaviors in order to get rewarded. And I, I was uh, quoting Chris Ryan before, and he, was, he says that basically, you know, this, this kind of system that we've developed essentially takes everything that's good and real and true and natural away from us. Everything that's that's really real, everything that's really real for you and your life, and it takes it away from us, and it sells it back to us, and it rewards people who follow the and tow the line of the of the um, you know hierarchical authoritarian agenda. That it it basically you know it, it gives us like consolation prizes instead of having time and no stress and living in a comfortable, peaceful, happy you know rich fruitful moment and enjoying your family and getting all that you can out of the the days and the time that you have here on this wonderful earth and this wonderful life that we don't know how long we're going to be around for instead of instead of that it robs you of that and it says okay have a little have some tv shows have a car have a have this device have this thing have you know tune into this program you know be be you know remember stay afraid because you need us to protect you and it just keeps pounding that in our heads, in our heads so much, which is why I think sometimes that, you know, understanding the ideas of liberty are great, but man, if you have a profound psychedelic experience, it could really crack through all that bullshit. It could really decondition you and deprogram you from all of the things that have been thrust upon you that you think that you identify as being you, but it's not you. It's just all the crust and crud that has been thrust upon you that you unwillingly that you didn't want, you know, and then when you have a profound experience that rattles all that away, or when you read a book that really shakes you to your core and you get an understanding or you have an epiphany or everything becomes clear and you have a moment of clarity and things make sense, all that sheds away and you become what you truly are, which is a primordial self. There is a self under there that is not defined by age and politics and gender and anything, all these labels. It's just a infinite star that you that you are and it sounds a little cheesy to say but hey maybe maybe that's what it is you know maybe maybe it is that but it certainly feels like that it feels like that and i'll take the feeling of that over over anything else because if there's if if if, if i can choose in this life to believe in something i would rather choose to believe in that i would rather choose to believe in 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 the good story than some bullshit made up one that someone's telling me to believe in no, fuck you. I don't want to believe in your shitty shit. I'm going to choose which television channel I want to watch. I'm going to choose which frequency I'm going to turn my reality to. And enough people, if enough people can join in with me and agree, and we can create a general consensus of what reality should be, as long as we're not hurting or harming anybody, what's the fucking problem? Let's live in peace and be happy and free while we can. Why the fuck not? Time is right fucking now. 
There's no other time. There's just no other time. Well, the next thing that I want to talk about um, that's really been on my mind a lot lately is um, this idea. You know, I mentioned the toxic kind of culture and I mentioned, uh, you know, just the, the, the authoritarian state and how, you know, it influences the culture, it influences the, you know, the pathological behaviors that develop to be rewarded by emulating it. Um, and, you know, I, I want to um I want to talk a little bit I guess about masculinity um but but more than that you know I think a little bit more than that I want to talk a little maybe just relationships between men and women the kind of you know our culture and and what it says about us I mean there's just so much here to talk about and you know the first thing I want to say is that okay men and women right you know, there's there's men and there's women, and nowadays I guess there's more than men and women, and that's fine. But you know, these people are individuals. Everybody, I look at everybody as an individual, and I I really try not to generalize. And I think if you can do that, then that would be better to do, to not generalize, to not put people into groups and teams, to not fight and say, you know, we we deserve this and we earn, you know, like. Uh, where, you know, I'm part of a team and this is, you know, men do this, women do that. Just try and judge people being individuals. I think that's the best thing that we can do. But it's, you know, it's hard to do that, uh, of course. Everybody likes playing for a team. But, um, you know, I guess I, I should talk maybe a little bit about what the problem is. I think the problem is that there's, there's, from a man's point of view, because I am a man, I think it's, it's been difficult. You know, I, I, I think growing up for me, obviously you start to feel an attraction, you know, towards the opposite sex and you're wondering, okay, well, you know, what are, like my natural instincts are telling me just start kissing and touching and stuff you know that's the, obviously your natural instincts want to do that that's just the biological urge that you feel but because we live in a civilized society there's rules that we are given there's ways that we go about doing these things we are different than animals we don't just jump on top of a a mate or a potential mate we actually have a little dance that we do and we have unwritten rules in which we try and abide by and just like any you know anything there's there's lines that are crossed there's variations of different ways that those lines are crossed and there's a point of no return where you cross the ultimate line and you violate another individual's rights you impose your will upon another person you force someone to do something against their will you force someone to enter into a situation where you are coercing them you are threatening them with 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 threats of violence or with threats of use of other other sorts of force but there but there's a big difference between you know there's there's a huge difference between acting in that way and sort of kind of persuading 
manipulating, you know, reaching, trying. That's there's a big difference and there's a there's a line. Words have meaning. You know, and I think that as a as a man growing up in this world like so many other things we're hidden from the the truth of life and the truth of reality we're we're not fully told what sex is and what it means to be a man and how to respect a woman and how to treat a woman we're given like a stupid little class like a health class in school maybe your parents sit you down and tell you about the birds and the bees you know back in my day son or whatever you know, but but ultimately, sex and uh, is so taboo, and it's so you know, it it just be it's this thing. It's like this this big thing, you know, and it's really not. We can develop such a healthier relationship around relations with men and women, and sexual relationships with men and women. You know, I mean, I I I've always felt sort of, you know, like. A little out of place sometimes with the conversations that that like or the the mentality that kids had when I was growing up. I I was like um I don't know maybe like a John Cusack uh, kind of you know hopeless romantic type of person, and I would get really I would really fall for these girls that I had crushes on or that I liked you know. But I guess that wasn't really seen as being like manly, you know, and like, that's not, you know, fuck these bitches, bitches ain't, you know, hoes ain't shit, you know, bitches don't have feelings, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you hear when you're a kid and you hear this stuff from like, you know, the culture, you know, and like the culture of like rappers like Jay-Z who like is like best friends with like Hillary Clinton now. And I, you know, supposedly like supports women or something. and. I don't know, you know, it's just like weird. It's like, 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 like growing up, like, you know, I'm not trying to be all tipper gore on you, but like, you know, the, the culture sends messages to the movies, action heroes, you know, on both sides with girls and with, with, with girls and boys, you know, I'm not, but I, I can only talk about this really from my point of view as a man. I mean, I'll give my opinion, I guess, on what I think, but you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, I never felt the way that the mainstream kind of masculine, tough guy ego mentality was telling me to feel. Like I'd, I'd much rather have a a romance with a woman and and be romantic and be charming and 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 you know that to me that was always the most the most rich and the most sensual and sexual moments of my life is when. There's, you know, there's a thing and there's a connection and you both like each other and you kind of go in and she, and then she goes in and you, you know, those are, those are the beautiful moments of life, you know? And I, I always liked having a girlfriend. I always liked being in a relationship and growing up as a, as a kid in my formative years, a lot of the messaging and the mentality or, you know, which is toxic is you know, that you got to be, you know, like you got to be uh, assertive, you got to be aggressive, you got to be uh, domineering, you have to be decisive, women don't like indecisive men, you, you got to be smooth, you got to be charming, you got to be quick, you got to be strong, you got to be tough, you know, you, you otherwise you're a fag, you're a fag, you, you know, you're a homo, you're a fag, you know, and then guys would talk that way and 
guys would talk about women, like, you know, and I remember even in, you know, in high school and in college, yeah, I smashed her, you know, we smashed, like, you know, it's like, these are not, this is not healthy language to be putting around sex. It's, sex is not a, a, a taking thing. It's not like a, a conquering, dominating thing. I mean, sure, it feels like a score if you got the girl and you did well and you, you know, you had a, a good, a good quote unquote, you know, conquest for a, ba- a lack of a better word, but it's not like, you know, it's not really like that. I mean, at least it shouldn't be that way, you know? And I think that so much of this language is coming from, you know, the culture, the, the rap, the music, you know, the, 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 the hip hop, gangster rap, rap music, the, you know, the movies, you know, the, the TV shows that, that constantly keep showing these images of these, you know, big, tough, kind of like brooding, strong, silent, kind of mysterious guys who just, you know, take what they want. And, you know, the, the kind of atmosphere that you get when you're, when you're in high school and you're around a bunch of guys and when you're in college is, is this kind of like conquering sort of mentality. It is this kind of like conquest type of domination type of language and, and, and view of things, you know, and it, I've never felt comfortable around those situ in, in those situations. And, you know, I'm sad to say that I did definitely conform and talk that way because it's difficult to be ostracized from your peer group and be kind of the only one that's like, well, actually I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed having, um, you know, lunch with, uh, Kristen the other day. Oh, you like having lunch? Oh, have a have some lunch. Pour some tea. You have a little tea and crumpets, fag. It's like, why? Because I I enjoy being around the presence of a woman that I'm I find sexy and attractive. Because I I find a woman to be attractive not just because of her physical appearance, but because of her whole aura, her whole vibe, the way she carries herself, her the way she talks, the things that she's interested in, her intellect, her opinions. I mean, hello. We're talking about a human being here, you know, and men just don't get that message sent to them. We strictly only get the message sent to us that, 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 like you know, the outside of appearance of a woman is the only thing that matters. And while I'll admit, of course, yes, everybody wants to be sexually attracted to somebody that they're that they're going to have, you know, you you want to be sexually attracted. To someone, you don't want to be not, you know, that's a major part of it, but that's not the only thing. And to reduce another human being to that thing is disgusting and pathetic and, you know, barbaric. It's just, it's, it, 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 you know, and I never felt comfortable in that conversation. But this is the conversation that this is the messaging that, that, that men receive. And there, when you're growing up and you're trying to, you know, you're a fucking human being and you're like, I'm in this weird body and I have, you know, I have these thoughts and there's like hair coming out of me. And sometimes this like smelly stuff comes out of my backside and I pee and I'm just this meat sack and I'm awkward and I have zits. It's like you want to do whatever you can to try and like fit in and not be like, you know, looked at and ridiculed. And especially when you're in this 
you know, prison camp for teenagers that they call high school, where everyone's sorted out like a like fucking slaves, you know, like and they're sorted out by age, you know, which is the stupidest thing to sort somebody out by. And then like the way that men are portrayed, you know, in commercials and media and. You know, we're just like these buffoons that as soon as we see like a girl with big tits, we're just like, oh, oh we're just reduced to like ogling and drooling and hub, 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 oh. <laughs> you know, it's like, like we se- and then we celebrate it like, oh, yeah, man, like, yeah, I, I couldn't keep it. I couldn't keep my cool. Like, I just oh, I had to go, uh, I had to go jerk off right away. Oh, man. It's like. <laughs> What you, you like is that's what men are reduced to in, in our society. Mainstream man is just is reduced to just and then like goo comes out. That's what we're, we're reduced to. We're reduced to just ogling a woman, treating her as a physical, uh, treating her based on her physical appearance, and then just oh, nothing else matters except for. <laughs> And, you know, of course, like porn plays a, like a huge role in in shaping our our young minds, you know? I mean, I I pretty much I grew up on porn. Like the first time I ever saw a, a pornographic film was when I was seven years old and I was at my friend Robert Jimenez's house after school. I was in fucking elementary school. I was in second grade. And I went back to my friend Robert Jimenez's house, and he had a VHS tape of like a Michael Jackson like thriller video that was like that he like recorded some porn on in between, so like whoever like looked at it wouldn't see in the beginning. It was actually quite genius for a kid that young. I think his brother did it. His brother was like fifteen or something, and so we like stole the tape and we put it in the VHS, and it was like, you know, to be honest, I, I, I the first thing I saw was just like this woman who was like screaming and. There was like hair and it was it was very startling to me as a seven year old child to see hardcore pornography, vaginal intercourse at that age. Like I didn't know what to make of it. I, I just thought that there was my the only thing I thought was maybe that like, you know, I knew that like girls didn't have penises and I knew girls had a vagina, but I thought maybe a vagina was just like a little belly button hole that was down there. I had no idea it was this thing with like flaps and stuff and it was pink and red and the woman was screaming and I was like, is she in pain? Like that guy's hurting her. Like what, what's going on here? What is this? It was very confusing. But it did send off like a chain of events where I, where I all of a sudden became so, so seduced by ogling the female image. You know, it just became this, this thing. And it, you know, because n- nobody really talked about sex. I mean, nobody, no one in my family talked about sex. Nobody at school talked about sex. N- you know, the, nobody talked about sex in a healthy way. It was like, oh no, oh, duh, oh, blur this out. He can't see that. Oh, he can't watch these movies. He can't see these things. You know, we Alan Watts, like I said, I'll quote him again. He says that like any society that that allows people to watch violence and 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 dismemberment and these sorts of things on television if you're watching like the walking dead or whatever you're watching we we were totally okay with like a warlike culture promoting violence and 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 you know aggressive behavior but we we lose our minds if anybody shows 
images of people loving each other, connecting with each other. And, you know, sex is, 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 is about love. It's about passion. It's about desire. It's the ultimate form of, of connection with, between two individuals. And, you know, that's something that we keep taboo. We can't show the kids. We can't say the things. Oh, my God, what would happen? And so Alan Watts says, you know, any culture that, 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 that values that one over the other is, is insane. And I have to agree with him. I think we're completely insane. And of course, I think it stems from this puritanical, um, you know, founding of this country and, you know, the awful things that we did to the Native Americans and the kind of puritanical values that have been brought over here, of Christianity and, and, you know, these sorts of repressive kind of um, beliefs. So I think it's terrible. It's horrible. And it, and it still persists to this day. And so, you know, I, I was growing up and, uh, and I was, you know, learned, I was, I was so infatuated with, with women and, um, you know, I, I remember stealing, like my, I found like my dad, had like a playboy stash. Sorry, dad, I'm outing you about having a playboy stash, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's totally fine, right? I mean, that, that's another thing. Like, right, if my father heard this, he'd be like, my God, like, I can't have people know that I have a play, I had a Playboy stash. You, you can't have, you can't, uh, can't be right. You can't know, you can't tell people that's wrong. How dare you? How dare you? Oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm a man that, that finds uh, naked women attractive. Oh, God. Monogamy. <laughs> it's biologically normal. And the, the whole problem with our entire civilization today is that we, we go against what is biologically normal. We tell ourselves lies. And we believe the lies and we live lives of turmoil for doing so. We live lives that we, we think we should, these things that we should be. We should be. We're not good enough. And a lot of this comes from the, the, the false lie that, you know, we're sinners and we have to make up for ourselves, right? Like we're all evil and we're not, we're not nice. We didn't listen to the big man in the sky. So we gotta, you gotta be good or else. Yeah. Fuck you. No, that's not right. You're right. Your life, your beliefs, your feelings, your intuitions, your thoughts, your desires, you know? So, so yeah, I, I stole some, Playboy magazine. I'll never forget Jenny McCarthy. I think 1994 Christmas special. It was um, unbelievable. I was infatuated. And then I would go to school and I would try and, you know, kiss girls and whatever. And I think I had my first kiss in second grade. And then, you know, it was like after that, you know, fifth grade is when people started making out and then we'd go to like make out parties and it was wild. It was crazy and it was all new and exciting. And it's like, you know, but it's just like us kids together figuring this thing out together. A bunch of dumb kids that don't know anything about sex, that are living in a repressed culture that doesn't want to go near sex, that doesn't talk about sex in a healthy way, that pushes it away, that makes it not okay, that makes it scary and, and weird and out there and this taking thing and not this giving thing, not this healthy thing. So we're just exploring sex between, you know, little seventh graders and eighth graders and eventually in high school and the whole time, you know, the messages of the toxic masculinity in the culture and, you know, in my peer group and, and it's so overwhelmingly apparent and I can only imagine what it would be like for young women, you know, coming up. I, I couldn't imagine what a young woman would go through coming up in this kind of 
atmosphere. And, you know, I never really gave thought to it at the time, but, you know, the, the images that, that women are projected with, you know, the things that they're told that they should be like and how they should feel. And, you know, it's just the same on, on a man's side. So I'm talking about it from my perspective, but it's like, you know, I always remember looking at like the kind of guy I should be like, you know, the, the kind of guy that the culture is telling me that I should be like, you know, the tough guy, the, the, the in shape guy, the guy that likes sports, the guy that can drink a lot of beers, you know, the, the, those sorts of things. And the, the guy that, the guy that doesn't care about, you know, you know, the women, you know, like Joey from Friends was, you know, like a big womanizer and, you know, the, the Seinfeld, there was a new women every episode. And so you just thought, oh, okay, this is like the thing that to do, like, this is what you do, you know? And, you know, anybody, any guy that was looked at to be in a relationship was looked at as like weak, you know, and feminine or something. And, you know, the guys would be like, whoa, you're a fag, you're a fag. And, um, you know, and, and men were, were, were just presented, you know, if a lot of like men in the 90s and stuff were, were presented as like just these bumbling buffoons, you know, Al Bundy, Homer Simpson, just like a bunch of lug nuts with not a thought in their brain. And, you know, it's just like, so it's just this horrible. And of course, like I said, the rap music and everything, you know, bitches ain't shit, but hoes and tricks. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's just like, I mean, as a young developing mind. I mean, the constant daily barrage of the messaging of what you should be and what a man is like, the images of superheroes, you know, the images of, 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 of sports players and athletes, and everybody's telling you this is what you should be, and this is how you should think, and this is how you should treat women. And, the th and I can imagine what women are getting on the other end of things, you know? And it just makes up for this big mess, you know, and nobody's and nobody wants to talk about it. And because where there's a lack, there's a failure to communicate truth, there's a hiding and there's a shame involved in all this stuff leads to massive catastrophic problems between the genders, massive catastrophic problems. And um, it's just a huge mess, a huge mess. And so, you know, when I was. When I was younger and I was growing up, like I was getting into this stuff. And at the same time, I was ogling, you know, porn. And I became this real, like, you know, like voyeur sort of, you know, just infatuated with the female form. And I would go on to porn sites and I would spend time watching porn. And, you know, and it was always like kind of, I always felt like I was doing something bad. You know, I always felt like I was doing something wrong because that's what like society kept telling me with this, this is bad. This is wrong. This is taboo. You shouldn't do this. You know, this is kept away. This is hidden. You know, the, the massive lie, the hoax that is this modern life that we live in. And I just had to figure it all out for myself, you know? So, you know, when I was, when I was younger, you know, and I had uh, like an interaction with another younger boy who was, we were probably like 10 or 11 or something. And it was just like a little kind of fooling around thing. And, you know, I didn't really particularly care for it, but the whole, you know, like, and I remember reading in, in Richard Branson's book, not, you know, not too long ago when I, when I read his book, Losing My Virginity, he kind of mentioned in passing, like, you know, I went to this all boys school and I went away and, you know, there were things that little boys do and, you know, how it is and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait, what? You know, and it's like, it, it kind of like takes a little bit of courage to, to come out and to talk about these sorts of things. But I think it's important that men, you know, share their experiences because 
you know, after all, we're human beings and we're living in the real world. And, you know, if we're not communicating our truth, then we're communicating a lie. And then we're not helping other people inform their, you know, inform, we're not helping other people, you know, giving them the courage and the strength to communicate their truths and live their true lives, you know, and then we're just contributing to perpetuating the problem. So, yeah, it was just, it was no big deal, you know, and, um, you know, it wasn't like sex or anything like that. And it was just like, we were like 10 years old. We we're just kind of like fiddling, fiddling around like nothing. But later on, I remember being like, you know, 14, 15 or whatever. And people being very aggressively anti, you know, in my town that I grew up in. I mean, Eminem was big at the time. You know, it was just the messaging was like, you know, this is what a man is. And like, this is what a man isn't. And, it, and there was a lot of, you know, just like homophobic talk and, you know, fuck you, fag, faggot, gay, you're fag, you're queer. Oh, don't do that, homo. You know, so there was a lot of pressure. And I remember thinking like, oh, shit, like this thing kind of happened to me when I was younger. And I guess I should never talk about it because it's just like, you know, I'll just be ridiculed and I'll be shamed and I'll be, I'll be cut out from the, the cool group. I won't be a part of the cool guys anymore. And, you know, the girls will think I'm gay or the guys will think, will think I'm gay. And it's like, no. Like, I was, I was uh, like, I was just a young kid that was like learning about sexuality and, you know, just did something that was like completely innocent, like, you know, one time and, you know, didn't really care for it, never did it again. And, but it was this, this messaging, this branding that got, that got laced into my head. And that, what that does is it makes you as a man kind of like overcompensate for that, you know? And I wasn't as bad as some of the friends that I hung out with, but I had friends that would like, you know, and I'm not proud to say that I was this way, but I had friends that would, you know, in high school and stuff later on that would just intentionally pick kids out and be like, you're a fucking homo and like, and like hit their books on the floor or something like that. I mean, really terrible bullying stuff, you know? And, um, you know, I, I definitely contributed to that too, because I didn't want to think anybody, I didn't want anyone to think I wasn't a tough manly man. I didn't want anyone to think I wasn't Mr. Cool Tough Guy, you know? I could get any girl I want. I can do anything. I can take the biggest bong hit. I can take the biggest drink, and I can chug the most beer, and buy him a man, and look at the size of my dick, <laughs> you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just like we're all just human beings here figuring out what it means to be a human being. Because no one else is telling us. I didn't even, at the time that that thing happened when I was like 10 years old with this other kid, you know, I didn't even know what, what, what it was. I didn't know what like gender or like, I didn't know anything was. I mean, I didn't know what like gay was. I didn't know what straight was. I didn't even, I didn't no idea trans was a thing. I had no idea about any of this stuff. No one tells you. You don't, don't do this. Or don't do that. It's only later where there's these like hard set rules where it's like, oh, you can't do this. If you do this, you're this. If you do that, you're that. It's like 10 years old. We're like figuring out like what the fuck's going on, you know? And, um, you know, so, so that like stayed with me for a while through, through, you know, always in the back of my mind of like, I can't let down my defenses because I'm like, I'm a tough guy, you know? And that's just the wrong messaging, you know, that, that, that we're, that we're sending. It's like the, these aren't like, you know, these aren't the, the right things that we should be telling men. What, what happens is it makes men more aggressive and it makes them shut down more and, and shut their emotions off, you know, and, and not 
be open and honest about their life situation and their feelings and what they're thinking, you know, and, and really communicating the full truthful experience of their life and sharing it with other men. And by doing that, that helps women so much because women, you know, if we're being truthful and honest and communicating our full experience of life and we're meeting, you know, we're being real and we have empathy and compassion, then that will help us in our relationships with, with women. That will help women kind of under, like, understand us a little bit better and we'll understand them a little bit better and there'll be less, of, less problems and less miscommunications. You know, and I just realized, you know, I kind of said something where I like confess something that I haven't told really anybody, um, you know, one person maybe. And now I told all you guys, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just, it's just a part of like my life. And I think it's important to talk about. And like I said, it was, it was nothing, you know, it's just like not a big deal, but it was at the time you know, later on in life when I found out like what all these things, what, you know, what all these things were was supposed to mean and was supposed to be and how you were supposed to act and what you were supposed to think and what you were supposed to talk about and how you're supposed to behave and how you're supposed to treat women and the words that you're supposed to say. And, you know, if a man acts a certain way, then he's a fag or he's gay or he's a homo or he's a queer or he's, you know, he's a pussy, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, only tough guys are cool and everyone else is nerds and weak. You know, it, it's just like, it's just such a, a dis- disturbing way to operate, to train the young people. You know, it leads to chaos. It leads to the problems we have. It leads to, you know, sadly say, it leads to people like Trump, you know, it leads to, it leads to people like Trump. And Trump is a representation of our current culture. You know, politics is a reflection of our culture and our culture values that sort of mentality still. We see it, you know. There's a lot of people that don't, but it's still prevalent. It's still out there. And until we actually, like Sharon Salzberg says, sit down and get real. And like I said, I'm, the o- I'm only interested in getting real and being honest. And until we sit down and we do that, we're going to face problems and we're going to face a lot of unnecessary problems and we're going to live our lives in, in hopelessness and despair and turmoil, partially, you know, maybe not fully, but partially. And there's always going to be that thing in the back of your mind, or there's always going to be that thing that you didn't get done, or that thing is just eating away at you, or that, you know, it just, yeah. And then we, you know, we manifest those things in our, in our interactions and in our relationships. You know, and I got to say, you know, I, once again, you know, I credit, I credit psychedelics with cracking me open and opening me up and making me realize that there's a whole new world out there of all kinds of varying different opinions and ideas and perspectives and different people with different life experiences that contribute to the collective painting that we're all individually stroking our own brushes on this canvas and collecting our information and our data to make a one giant mural together, that there's everybody is a unique being waving their unique color to, you know, shine this never before seen massive image uh, that we call reality today in this life today. You know, it's an absolutely beautiful, wonderful thing. And, you know, love is love. And connection is connection. And understanding is understanding. And truth is truth. And when you can meet somebody at those places, everything else 
falls by the wayside and you feel at so much more at ease that you're actually connecting with another human being and understanding them, understanding their life situation, and understanding your own and informing your own self about your own existence and your own life situation, your own journey, your own uh, dreams and hopes and goals and whatnot. And, you know, I got to say, the other day, I was actually hanging out with some people, and there was a couple younger kids around, you know, in their young, their early 20s. And one of them was talking about a friend who broke up with a girl, and then they got back together, and the friend um, messaged him and said, you know, I really learned a lot about myself from the breakup, and, you know, it really helped inform who I was and helped me correct some of the behaviors. And the guy that was showing them this message was like, what a fucking fag, right? I mean, who talks like that? Like, you know, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, this, this young man has a lot of learning to do. And he is, in fact, not really a man yet because he's not really learned to accept and fully integrate his own sort of presuppositions about what a man is and what he's been told of, of what a man is. And I think, you know, maybe what his friend said is a wonderful thing, you know? It's a wonderful thing. Diplomacy and debate and, and meeting somebody on, on you know, and learning about yourself and all these sorts of things are extremely healthy ways, you know? And, and so, you know, being a man is not about, is not about using force and having an authoritarian, tyrannical presence where you're imposing your will on people. I am a man. This is my house. This is what I say goes. This is the way I want it. You're going to listen to me or else, you know, you're, 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 you're putting out because I said so. You came back to my apartment, so you're going to give me sex. You know, that's not, no. You're, you, that's, not, that's not what being a man is. Being a man is being able to understand your full power, being a powerful being, whether you're an intelligently powerful person or you're a physically strong, powerful person, and holding that power and not exerting force upon anybody else, but actually just standing fully in your presence and exuding the full powers that you have as a man to learn and to listen and to love and to accept yourself and to understand and to accept others and to defend people that can't defend themselves, to speak up for people that can't speak up for themselves, to say things that other people are too cowardly to say or afraid to say, to walk towards pain, to, to be uncomfortable and be fully present in that moment and take it for all that it is. It's to dive into that freezing cold water, into that abyss, to go down to the whale, like Jordan Peterson says, and save your father and bring him back. To be the hero. And being the hero means slaying your dragons, your inner demons, the demons and dragons that are in your mind that, that this culture and society and that our peer groups pressure us to believe to fully accept yourself and to allow yourself to be yourself, the unique, one-in-a-kind, only sort of being that you and only you are. There's only one you. You've only been created this one time, and you exist in pure, 100% perfect uniqueness. Be that thing fully, and don't be afraid, because there's nothing to fear. And any, anybody that ridicules you or, or shames you or makes fun of you is only insecure in themselves. 
anybody that acts out in aggression towards you and is hostile towards you is only afraid themselves because your comfort threatens their lack of comfort. Your security threatens their insecurity. You existing fully as you are as a man is a condemnation as they see it. They interpret it to be a condemnation about the way that they live their lives, and they are insecure and threatened by it. And only a true man is fully secure around people that he disagrees with, people that he doesn't uh, necessarily um, uh, you know, approve of or engage with or you know, whatever. Only a, tr- a real man is, 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 is secure in who he is, in being truly who he is, no matter what. And I'm not saying that I'm fully there yet. I still have learning to do and, and a long way to go. But I think that um, there's there's some men that are talking about issues like this. Lewis Howes came out with a book called The Masks of Masculinity. This is a guy who's about around my age, maybe a little bit older than me. And he runs a podcast called The School of Greatness. And he released a book called The Masks of Masculinity, where he talks about the masks that men wear. You know, the the Joker mask, the the sexual mask, the the tough guy mask, you know, whatever they are, I I um I forgot. I mean, I kind of I read the book, but I my comprehension is terrible. <laughs> but um, or I think I read like only like eight chapters so far in the book, and then I skipped to the end because I wanted to see what the conclusion was. But but he is somebody who had has actually inspired me to tell my story because he came out and told a story about he how he was actually raped as a young boy by uh, his babysitter's boyfriend, I think it was. You know, he was sexually abused by another man. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of, that's, that, that seems to be rampant, right? I mean, we hear stories all the time, the Catholic Church, you know, Sandusky, you know, these sorts of things. I mean, abuse, you know, violating people's rights, whether it's you know, the centralized authority at the state level who uses force and coercion to, you know, invade other countries and bomb people and kidnap people for smoking plants and throw them in cages like animals or steals money from your paychecks and calls it taxation and tries to justify and moralize it, whether it's that kind of, you know, domination or if it's the domination and the predatory prey, you know, the predat- the predation of 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 men who are creeps, who prey upon young boys who violate people, who prey upon young girls, whatever it is, you know, Catholic church priests, whoever, you know, pedophiles in Hollywood, these sorts of things, it is rampant and it needs to be exposed. It needs to be talked about. And this is, you know, because violating somebody's rights and especially violating a child's rights can have a large impact on them and a terrible impact on them. And, you know, this is, this is one of the cruelest, most sick tragedies of all time. And, you know, you, I, you are, of course, not a real man if you do anything like that. Whether you, I mean, if, if you violate anybody's rights, if you step over the line and you violate anyone's rights, but of course, if you violate a child's rights or a woman's rights, anybody's right, you are a vile scum. You are, you are nothing, and you are inviting a violation of your own rights. Um, and that I will never back down from, and I will never retract that, because there's nothing worse to me than somebody who disrespects somebody else and violates their rights and takes from them and hurts them 
and you know i i maybe i feel compelled to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves and you know maybe i'm doing this as a sort of sense of atonement too because i sort of kind of was a little bit of a bully in high school you know when i was pressured by my peer group when i was on the football team and the wrestling team and you know i was a tough guy man and i was getting all the girls and i was a cool guy funny you know center of attention causing trouble in school you know great, sure it was a great time but i wasn't really being me was i I was hiding. I was pretending. I was, as Lewis Howe says, I was wearing masks, you know? And, you know, you gotta, you gotta crack open that hard candy shell, you know, that you have and just get right to the core of your true being, of who you are, and start living from that center point. When you start living from the seat of your true primordial soul, then you start living a true and authentic life, and then you live a life that, that nobody can can deny from you, and you don't feel uncomfortable, and you you feel fully who you are. I I feel like a completely different person than, than who I was when I was eighteen years old. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just there was so much that was just going on when I was growing up, and you're becoming a, a man. You're growing up, and you have these hormones, and you have all these changes that are happening, and on top of that. You know, I was being sent to this school that I hated, and my parents hated each other, and they were fighting all the time, and I was watching porn like crazy, and I was looking at women in a weird way, and all the, to and all the toxic masculinity, you know, in a predatory way, I should say, and, you know, all of the, the toxic masculinity messages were coming through, and I was eating them all up and thinking that's what I should be, and that's what I should say, and this is the kind of guy I should be, and, you know, all that stuff, and then on top of that, you know, they don't, my parents, the school doesn't know what to do with me. So they're pumping me full of Adderall and I'm abusing it and I'm sniffing it and snorting it. And we're binge drinking till we puke on the weekends and we're abusing psychedelics and doing cocaine and driving a hundred miles an hour down the road and doing all kinds of stupid, crazy stuff and getting into fights and beating people up. And it was just, it's madness. A lot of people didn't make it out, you know? I can't say that a lot of people made it out and they have the perspective that I have today. It took a lot of fucking work for me to come out on the other side and have the perspective that I have now. It took a lot of work. And I'm still journeying and I'm still working on myself to atone, to become a better person, to become more of a fuller man and to own up. And, you know, another part of being a man is taking responsibility for your choices, taking responsibility for your actions. As hard as it is, and it's still hard for me now to try and make up for past mistakes and take responsibility for past mistakes because I feel like that wasn't me, but it was me. I did do those things. I was that person, and I need to take responsibility for it. But with great power comes great responsibility, but also Mark Manson in his book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, he says, with great responsibility is great power. When you claim the responsibility that's on your table and you own it and you take it, there's so much power in accepting that responsibility. And that's really truly what it means to become a man, to become a provider, to become, you know, a real, dependable, loyal, honest man living forthrightly in the world. And you know, I just look at like people like my grandfathers and, you know, my grandfather on my mother's side, like my he was a great guy, you know, and he he had to like, 
he had seven brothers and sisters and his father passed away at an early age. And when he was like 13 years old, he like dropped out of school to try and support the the family to help pay for the bills. I mean, could you imagine that? You know, he, he dropped out of school and like, I think it was in the thirties or forties. He, he's paying for, he's paying for the, the bills. He's working four or five jobs, you know, construction, just backbreaking labor and 13 year old kid trying to support his, his, his mother and, and help chip in with the rest of the family. And I think his brother died at war and, you know, he, then he had a bum knee and then he went on to have a family and have five kids and build a house. And I mean, it's just unbelievable the things that these men did to, to bring me alive, to give me a life where I don't have to do those things. And my other grandfather on my father's side, he got drafted and went into the war and, you know, his brother got killed at war and, you know, God knows him I and he's in World War II. I mean, who the fuck knows what, what happened there? I mean, it's, I couldn't imagine, I could never imagine being in the chaos of that, of that, of that murder fest. I mean, it must have just been horrifying. And he came back and he never spoke about it and he just shut up and he just did his thing and he raised a family of four children and he raised them as, as, as honestly and best he could and they were all great people, aunts and uncles that I have and my father were great people. And, you know, he just did his thing. He accepted his responsibility. He provided. He moved on. He got through it. And he, and he approached every situation with, with love and kindness. He was a teacher. And all, everywhere he went, the, his students, you know, past students would, would come up to him. I've, I've been with him at the supermarkets and the malls. And they would come up and say, Mr. Brancatelli, you were a great teacher. I just want to say I really enjoyed having you as a teacher. And it's like, you know, now that happens to my dad. I mean, it's, it's a, truly a wonderful thing. And, you know, my dad doesn't, isn't like the typical kind of mainstream tough guy, you know, male that I've been talking about. He's a very wise, intelligent, you know, bookish person who enjoys uh, photography and reading and, you know, be, have, being alone. He's, a, he's an introvert, and, you know, but he's a very thoughtful caring, compassionate, church-going, wise person. And I respect him for his choices and his beliefs. And he has provided for me and he has given me a, a good life and he's inspired me to do good. And he's passed wisdom down that he learned from his father and of course his mother as well. But you know, we're talking about men here. so. But he is not the typical manly man. But I wouldn't trade that in for anything in the world because he's, he's my dad. He's the best person on the face of the planet. He's my hero, you know, and he's inspired me like to be to be thoughtful and 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 to be curious and to you know read and to fill myself with knowledge. You know, he's the reason one of the one of the reasons why, you know, and I have his DNA in me that the the impulses are there to go and to be like him and to do those sorts of things and to be cool, calm and collective and you know thoughtful and compassionate and caring and traditional and have a certain set of, you know, have integrity and morals and virtues and, you know, be kind of the traditional sort of upstanding conservative democratic citizen that he is, you know, he's a wonderful person. So, you know, I, and there there was this, you know, this recent, um, you know, of course, we've been hearing in, in the news, you know, I mean, I guess 
so really, I mean, my story, of course, my story continues, but, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm still on the path to learning how to be a better man and to live, you know, a life that's, you know, fully, really true and honest and real. Um, and, you know, daily morning practices helps a lot. Um, meditating, breathing exercises, these sorts of things really, really help a lot. But also, detaching myself from the mainstream kind of toxic culture that that promotes this sort of you know false idea of what it means to be a man it's you know and so as long as i as long as i can and you know obviously i work i'm working through things like anger issues and stuff like that that still kind of come through um but my goal is to try and really be fully really real and really honest and have integrity and accept responsibility and live forthrightly in the world and live true and you know uh, just inspire others to do the same and to talk honestly and openly about my experience and things that have happened to me and how it shaped me and you know another thing that I should mention is that you know my porn consumption had really increased over the years since I started watching it and I grew up in a time where the internet was was kind of a new thing but it was you know I was maybe like the year 2000 when I was in high school and 2000 2000 and 2004 and it was so available and it was right there and I just it just became such a part of my daily routine and my daily life and I didn't realize that I had a a, a real problem until this year I mean, maybe last year, actually, 2016, I realized that, you know, everybody, like, like I, I had formed this sort of addiction to, to pornography, and I, and I was in so, you know, so much denial about it, because it was, I felt embarrassed, I felt like, this can't really be real, it's, it's not really an addiction, like, everybody watches porn, this is normal, you know, it's not, and I just was in such denial for a long time until I started to notice that it was affecting my relationship. It was affecting my relationship. I was no longer as super aroused and as sensitized. I was becoming desensitized because I have, because a nature of an addiction, just be, you have to keep seeking more and more like hardcore activities and more things that really give you a rush new and novel things and the way that i had been consuming my pornography had been in a very unhealthy way i mean i would watch it for like hours and i just thought hey i love sex and women and this is awesome and you know since i can't really do this stuff whenever i want i'll just watch it and then i noticed that i started watching more and more kind of aggressive and you know violent and just stuff that's just not really great you know it's not really great it's not really healthy it's not it doesn't establish a healthy way a healthy relationship with with sex and sexuality and what it means to be with a woman and to to be intimate with a woman and you know of course that means that you can do kinky things and you can do weird things and you can have fun in that way and me and my ex-girlfriend definitely did but you know and i definitely have been in situations like that with women that we've done you know kinky things and it's great and i love doing that stuff i'm adventurous i love it it's fun but i think that 
I had developed a very unhealthy addiction and I didn't realize it was an addiction for a very long time. And I had been living in, in, a, in denial that it was because pornography had been a part of my life that was a reliable friend. It, I can always count on the women of porn that I could just go online and I can just access them at any time. And they would always be there for me. You know, and it took me a long, long time and a lot of inquiry and psychological inquiry and dissection and inner work and exploration of psychedelics and, you know, getting to an inner place in my mind and discovering this stuff and talking it out and talking to therapists that I really, really discovered like because I had uh, you know, that experience when I was like ten with the with another boy and then also because of the way that my mother had been aggressive and and very um angry and you know very um controlling of me all the time and very there was a lot of anger and hostility in the house that my view of women was shaped to you know sort of be a little bit intimidated by women and be a little f- scared and maybe even be a little aggressive towards them because I've grew up in this kind of hostile environment where there was a hostile aggressive woman and you know I looked at porn as this kind of escape you know and I looked at it in a way where, you know, maybe I had an experience that, you know, everybody in my social circle was saying, like, you know, in in my peer group and the society at large is like, you know, saying like, this is what it means to be a man, blah 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 blah. And so you're my only space where I felt safe, where I felt like I'm in control, I'm the one that has control, I can control how I feel, and I can look at these women in an ogling, you know, voyeuristic way where I would be so infatuated with the the videos that I was watching and the images that I was seeing and I would pleasure myself to this stuff in my way on my terms and and how I felt you know and I'm controlling the situation and that led to an attachment you know that led to a serious attachment and uh, an addiction it would be called you know an addiction and I I Gabor Mate Dr. Gabor Mate would say that, you know, because we we feel pain, right? We feel pain because we can't we we can't live in the present moment because there's something that's triggering us that's causing us to feel pain. So the thing that's triggering us to cause that makes us feel pain, we don't health we don't integrate that feeling in a healthy way a lot of the times in, in this society that we live in. Instead, what we do is we try and cover it up and we try and push it down and we try and hide it and push it away. And one of the things that that's why Dr. Gabor Mate talks about addiction can be anything. Because what we do is when we feel that pain, when we are triggered and we feel that pain, we immediately search for a way to escape the present moment and cope with that pain. So we develop these coping mechanisms mechanisms for coping with the pain, for escaping the present moment. So these things can be anything, cocaine, you know, cigarettes, alcohol, pornography, right? So you're escaping the present moment because you feel pain, you're uncomfortable, you want to escape. And I would escape into this fantasy world where I could have any girl that I wanted to, and they were all beautiful and stunning looking, and it was all under my control. No one was going to violate me and hurt me. I was going to do it myself on my own accord, and that's how it went for a long time. And it was always there for me. It was always a reliable 
source that I could go to. Maybe if I was in a, you know, if I wasn't in a relationship or if I got dumped or something like that, you know, I would, I could always feel comforted by the attachment that I had to the pornography. And I didn't have to go out into the real world and get hurt by the rejection of women. And I didn't have to get hurt by any abuse of anybody else doing anything that I didn't want them to do. I could do everything under my own control. I could live in this fantasy world. And I think that this is, you know, I think this is largely the case for a lot of men my age and younger, is that there, there's an escape because men are being, are not being taken care of. Men are being, we're being messaged to with, with, with tox, with toxicity, with toxic messaging. You know, there's, there's a, and, and nobody's really taking care of men and, and telling men what they, you know, the, the truth and what they need and, and, you know, can, with compassion and love and showing us the true way to be a man. And so, you know, and, and then there's a lot of women that blame men and say men are the problem and all men are the same and men are sexist and men are terrible and men are just evil and men are aggressive and da 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 and not really wanting to understand and get to the bottom of it and instead just labeling and dismissing men as we're all monsters and all this stuff. And so there's a lot of men today that are withdrawing from society. They're, they're leaving the conventional, normal functions of society. They're living in their parents' basement. They're staying in bed all day and getting high and playing video games and watching porn. You know, they're eating shitty food and they're, 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 getting, they're eating junk food and they're watching junk, you know, sexuality and they're playing substitutions for life. They're substituting their life for a fictional holographic virtual digital life. They're trading in the real thing for something that's false. They're getting they're getting a consolation prize for life because they feel that they can't fit in. They can't fit into what is being offered out there. It's not for them. They can't do it. The mixed messages that that that, that get sent into them in the media and and with you know different things like this is how you be a man, you know, be decisive, be, be, you know, be this way, be that way. Okay. Yeah. Mystery. I'm a pickup artist. You know, neg girls, tell them this, Joe, girls like it when you don't treat them with respect, all these games and games and games. And we all get caught up in these games and the women play the games and the men play the games. And nobody is honestly looking at things from a true and real human perspective and meeting heart to heart and mind to mind and soul to soul and saying, hello, here we are, human beings on this earth for a temporary period of time. Let's sit down with each other. Let's get real and let's solve any problems that we have that will limit our ability to have a happy and healthy and fulfilling life filled with, with, the, with the, all the joys that love and, and sexuality and relationships and, and life can offer. To really just, mm, to just have all of it because none of it's bad it just it's bad when it's done in in a in a detached you know way that's just seen as being taboo and when you when you label things as being that way then they become that way and it's this thing that gets created you know where kids in America drink binge drink more in college because the drinking age is 21 and you know in other countries like Spain and Paris and or Spain countries <laughs> in other countries like Spain and and countries where they don't have a drinking age where kids 
you know, start drinking wine when they're six, seven years old and they're grown up like that. They don't binge drink and they don't chug beers and have funnels and kegs and all this stuff like we do because we're repressed here. And when you're repressed and the truth is hidden, you act out and you revolt because you want to engage in the biological urge of that, of fulfilling your human experience, your human desires, your human pleasures. And then we do those things in unhealthy ways and we make attachments to things where we feel comfortable and we trade we we become so comfortable that we become actually unhealthy in our in our comforts and our comforts become our addictions and the comfort addictions that we develop become our prisons and we live in those prisons and then we never really fully live fully alive as real people in a real world interacting health in a healthy way with each other and really truly understanding each other and truly understanding our presence in this world and who we are and what we're capable of and what we're sent here and meant here to do. So it, it's, you know, it's just really, really sad. And it's really hard to get this point across to people that just don't want to be open to the sorts of things that I'm talking about because I'm not on anyone's team. I'm on team human, you know, I'm on team human. And, you know, I'm on team truth and I'm on, tr- I'm on team open and honest and compassion and love and peace. That's the team I'm on, team real. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not playing for any sides or any ideologies. And, you know, so this thing came out with Aziz Ansari today where he has been uh, accused of sexual misconduct. And, you know, it's like every single day somebody is accused of something now. Like, this seems to be the thing that's going on, right? You know? And of course, of course, of course, there's men who are terrible sexual predators. And, you know, obviously, everything that I've been talking about, this toxic masculinity, this messaging that we get from movies and, and music and, our culture and our peer groups and the mentality that we have around sex and how it's taboo and the puritanical and the through lines in our culture and the influence of Christianity and the, you know, overcompens, all this stuff influences how men behave and how we act in society. And obviously, this creates a, a level of predation, right? I mean, this creates, you know, a terrible situation. <laughs> And so it just seems like every day someone's outed for another sexual misconduct or whatever, right? But it seems like now more and more today that these words are getting thrown around and lumped together and sexual assault is, you know, saying like, kiss my ass, like, kiss your ass. Oh, that's sexual assault. Oh my God. Oh no. Oh, please. I'm going to die. You know, no, we need to calm down. We need to be sane and we need to address things as how they are, right? And so. You know, I I saw that Aziz Ansari was accused of sexual misconduct, and I immediately thought, oh my God, not a, another one again. Oh, this is just terrible because I kind of like Aziz. I, I I mean, I'm not a huge fan of his comedy. I I kind of think he's a little bit of a hack, but I I really enjoyed his show Human Giant, really funny show on MTV in like 2008 called Human Giant, and um. I really liked I really like his uh show on Netflix Master of None. 
And so, you know, and, and, and Aziz has been known as somebody, I think he wrote a book called Modern Romance. It was a New York Times bestseller. He, he's known as somebody who's kind of a feminist and, and, you know, on that side and, you know, but these people don't care. You know, as soon as you cross the line, they'll turn on you. It doesn't matter who you are. And, um, and so I saw this article and I said, all right, well, I best, I better read this because I kind of, you know, I want to see what this is all about. But again, it seems like every day another man is being accused of, of something. And it's like, well, what in God's name is happening here? I mean, yeah, we probably do live in this terrible culture where there is this predatory environment and we do have terrible messaging for men and there is toxic masculinity and all that stuff is true. But also, we need to remember that just because a woman felt uncomfortable in a, in a situation in which she entered voluntarily doesn't automatically mean that we can call this sexual assault. Sexual assault is assault. Sexual assault is when you are crossing the lines and you are using either force or coercion to impose your will upon somebody else to make them do something that they are not wanting to do against their will. You are forcing yourself or you are threatening them, threatening them with the use of force, which is coercion, to do something that, is, that will violate their individual rights. And that is wrong. That is immoral. That is criminal. But it's a huge difference between somebody who's kind of persuasive and manipulative and deceptive and attempts to try and do certain things and ultimately, you know, fails. Also, somebody who asks for things and then those things get granted and given and only for, you know, so anyway, this, this, this story uh, was put out by Babe.net. Um, they label themselves on Twitter as for girls who don't give a fuck. Um, and the article says, is entitled, I went on a date with Aziz Ansari. It turned into the worst night of my life. Now, you can go and read this article if you like. I did. I read it. And I think, personally, I feel that while this might be a true story and it's an interesting story to tell, uh, I also feel that these guys, uh, these girls over at Babe Dunnett are probably just looking to cash in on this witch hunt that's going on, trying to label anybody that does anything that slightly makes a, a female uncomfortable, right, is sexual assault. And so this doesn't contribute to the, the solving the problem, right? Like, it would be interesting... It would be nice if people can write articles, maybe they could explain what happened in this article, and then they can talk about how, you know, maybe, well, why did Aziz act this way? You know, let's investigate this. Let's talk about, let's have a conversation about, you know, masculinity and what it means to be a man and how men should act and how men should behave and, you know, what we should be looking for. Because uh, honestly, a lot of men are fucking dumb and clueless and we don't know. Now, myself, I've always felt very uncomfortable pressuring a woman to do anything. I, I've, 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 I've almost been in the situation where like women had to be like, come on, you pussy, like make a move. You know what I mean? Because women ultimately do like a man who does make a move, who is sort of assertive. But 
obviously, if a woman ever said, no, I would never step over the lines and step over the boundary and, and, and force her to do something, of course I would try and persuade her. I've been in that situation before. Why wouldn't you? You know, you're in a situation, you're, you're hooking up. Come on, please. No, all right, please. I'm really, I'm good. I'm telling you, I'm just saying, you know, you sell yourself, right? And that's fine. It's a little dance, you know? And I think that's normal. That's healthy. You know, that's like men naturally want to, you know, we want to go. Like we see a hot woman and we're like, but, you know, to, to, to make us defined by that is disgusting and pathetic. I mean, you know, we, we need to, women need to show us how we can, you know, women kind of need to like tame us sort of, you know, sort of, you know, it's like they need to be a little bit more assertive with us and say, okay, yeah, like, you know, they need to be explicit in how they feel. One of the things that I've always been bad at, and I know a lot of men are bad at, is interpreting nonverbal cues and nonverbal messaging. And, you know, I've heard, I've had a lot of girls say, you know, like, oh, like, this is what I mean. Like, couldn't you tell, you know, it's like, well, no, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm dumb. I, it's just, we're biologically, a lot of men aren't really, unless you were raised properly in, in an environment different from the one that I described, where you were actually educated about how to treat a woman and women told you this stuff at a young age and you were you know educated in a healthy environment, most men don't really know. Like, I need to be told explicitly how you feel, what you're thinking. It's very hard for me to guess and to try and, you should, you should want to, you know, offer and to add it's it's difficult for me because i'm just not wired that way it takes a little effort for me and it takes a lot of learning for me to to make that leap and i'm willing to because i want to ultimately please the woman i'm with you know and i want to treat her with respect and with kindness because guess what i'm a human being and that's the way that i want to be treated too jesus do unto others as you should have done unto you one of the greatest one of the greatest lines ever and and that's a line that i'm Proud to say that I, I try and live by. So I, I went through this article and I read it and I just, you know, I was a little, um, I was a little turned off by the labeling that they gave this and saying that this was sexual assault. Um, you know, she shows up at his apartment, the girl, and I don't know about you, but I, I live in New York City and, and when I live in New York City, like, I lived in New York City, when I live in New York City, uh, why am I saying that again? Okay, well, let me start over and talk like a person. When I would meet girls out for first dates, I never had a girl show up to my apartment. I th- first of all, I think that invitation is sort of like, I don't think a girl would respond well to that. A woman would just respond well to that. And secondly, it's kind of commonly known that when you meet for a first date, you meet somewhere out for drinks or for dinner or something, somewhere out, you know? So she goes to his apartment. So she walks into his apartment. So what that would signal to me, if I, you know, I'm a guy and if she was coming to my place, that would signal she's cool with just walking into a stranger's apartment that she just met for the first time. And then they drink wine. And in the article, she says, it was white. He didn't even ask me to choose. I prefer red, but it was white wine. Okay, well then politely speak up and say, you know, you're an adult woman. Just say, Hey Aziz, I I really love your work and I'm a big fan and you know it's all great and everything and I know we're drinking white wine but I actually prefer red. Do you have any red? I don't really drink white. You know, it's something just be nice about it and ask. Be explicit, you know? And um 
The other thing is that men get a lot of messaging, and this is the messaging I was talking about, you know, messaging about be assertive. When you go out, you know, order the wine and, you know, be, know what you want and, you know, order like order a red wine or whatever, just be assertive and be decisive and just, you know, just do that because women like a man that takes charge. So this is some of the messaging that we get, you know, and, you know, I'm not like that. I'm just like, hey, whatever you want to have. But, but maybe, I don't know, maybe some women don't like that. Maybe a women, some women do like someone that takes charge. So how do you really know? You never really know, you know? Maybe if, maybe if Aziz asked her, what would you prefer? Maybe she would think, oh, he's, you know, maybe subconsciously she would think like, oh, he's like catering to me too much and he's kind of weak and he's not really, you know, being decisive. I like a man who's decisive. You never know, right? So it's, it's a communication thing, right? We're both, we're, we're, we're adults entering, mutually entering into a voluntary situation and we're adult human beings that are, uh, you know, looking to maybe see if there's a connection with each other here and that will maybe lead to some kind of romantic uh, situation. That's the whole point of going out on a date. Um, you know, hopefully that this will lead somewhere that we'll get intimate and, um, starting the night off at, by going to his apartment and by drinking wine, um, you know, that's sort of sets things up for like, you know, it's okay. You're okay coming into a stranger's apartment and you know, whatever we're, we're having wine. So then she goes on to say, uh, they went out to dinner and, uh, they left really quickly. She could kind of, you know, they ate and she could kind of tell the disease wanted to get back to the place because he's probably thinking, Hey, she's cool being at my place, drinking wine. We just had a good dinner and maybe I can get her back there and maybe something will happen. You know, because, you know, Aziz is a big star and he makes a lot of money and he's probably used to sort of, you know, this sort of situation, but he's also kind of a nerdy, awkward guy who's like a skinny little runt. There's like five, six, 130 pounds. So, you know, and he talks about struggles with women that he has and these sorts of things. So, you know, who knows, you know, and he's got the mixed messaging and the, all that kind of stuff. So he brings her back and she says she remembers feeling uncomfortable at how quickly things escalated. They started kissing and undressing. Okay, well, you know, now would be a good point as an adult human being to say, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable, uh, you know, and I think she did say that. But then he, I think he resumed and he went back. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you're really that uncomfortable, you always have the option to just say, I'm sorry, I just, you know, this is our first date. And, you know, I know I came back to your apartment, but, um, you know, I want to leave. And then is that okay if I leave? I don't want to be mean or rude. But she always has that, right? But because it's Aziz and it's a, he's a star and she respects his work or whatever, and he probably was like, oh, no, it's cool. We can just chill and watch Seinfeld. No big deal. I'm Aziz. Hey, look at me. You know, he's probably making jokes. She was probably laughing, right? So, okay. So you enter, you voluntarily entered in this situation. So, so then she goes on to say uh, he resumed, he was kissing her. He, uh, he briefly performed oral sex on her, and he asked her to do the same thing to him. He asked her to do the same thing to him. She did, but not for long. Okay. I mean, how is this sexual assault? I'm sorry. 
I mean, yes, you could be feeling uncomfortable. Yes, you could be feeling like you don't really want to do this. But if it's really something that you don't want to do, you have the power to make a choice. You know, you have the and and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I want women to feel safe around men. I want men to act appropriately and and have respect towards women. And you know, Aziz was definitely acting the way that I gathered the way that Aziz acted was like a like he was acting in the way that he thought that he should act that like a cool tough guy who impresses women who's a star of his caliber should act because he you know he should he's taking her out to dinner he's spending money you know he's buying wine drinks they go back to his place he's probably thinking like I got this thing in the bag you know that she's kissing she's not pulling away and you know the other indicator is that you know she goes back to his place I mean I'm sorry but like fuck all the bullshit out there. If you're on a date with a girl and it's a first date and you're on a first date with a girl and she goes back to your place, that doesn't mean that she gives you consent to have sex with her and do your way with her. Not at all. But it's an indicator that like, yeah, she's into me and there's something's going, we're going to get intimate because once again, we are on a date. It's a romantic evening. There's wine, there's oysters, there's things happening. That is the unwritten sort of agreement that's going on here. But she always has the ability to choose to say no, to resist, and to leave. And she never does. Instead, she engages with him. He asked her to do oral sex on him. She did. This is what it says in the article. She willingly gave him oral sex. Okay? Willingly. He did not force her. Did he persuade her? Did he ask her? Yes. Did he use coercion? No. Did he use force? No. Okay. Then, um, so yeah, I mean, look, he asked her to blow him. She did. Okay, so like, there's any argument about sexual misconduct right now is pretty much over when you willingly put another person's genitals in your mouth. Okay? I, I mean, I don't know what planet you live on, but when you willingly and voluntarily put another person's genitalia into your mouth and perform oral sex on that other person. Any argument for sexual misconduct on that other person is over. If anything, like you have to take responsibility. You're an adult human being that has voluntarily entered into the situation. You made a choice to perform that action. If you did not want to perform that action, then you should have left. So anything that happens now after this point that she put his penis in her mouth and gave him oral sex, but for not but not for too long, the point is moot. It 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 doesn't matter. It's over. I mean, it's I mean, it's crazy. I mean, could you imagine what would you think if you had a if you invited a girl over, she came to your apartment to meet you, you had wine, you went out to dinner, then she comes back to your apartment and then she blows you. She gives you head. I mean, aren't like I would be thinking, wow, this girl's really into me. She likes me and we're going to get down. This is going to be great. Okay. So then she goes on to say that he physically pulled her hand towards his crotch throughout the night from time to time, like he would pull he would pull her hand over towards his dick. All right, Aziz, that's kind of a creepy move, man. You know, I'm not going to lie. That's that's kind of a creepy move. And you know what? That is a little bit of a force. But 
right then and there, she should say, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not fucking around. Like, don't do that because like, I'm not this kind of girl. You can't like force me, whatever. So he probably, she said, he probably moved my hand to his dick five to seven times. She said, he really kept doing it after I moved away. Now, maybe that's like a move that like we're, I don't know, whatever, like he was taught, like someone says like, oh yeah, this really works. You know, you really got to like do this, but that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. It's kind of creepy. And, you know, but the main thing is that she already, you know, sucked his dick. So it's like, you know, that, that kind of thing is, is not really right, but it's like, okay, I can kind of see where he's going with that, you know? And so at this point, she's probably in the house for like like more than 30 minutes to 45 minutes or something like that. So she has the option to leave. She has the option to explicitly tell him, no, don't do that. And if you do that, I'm not going to, you know, stay here any longer. Um, you know, she's an adult. Like I said, she could speak up. She can get out, use her legs, walk. You know, she's not paralyzed. You know, I could. And then I, I saw in the article, it's like, oh, I was so overcome with like shock and things like that. It's like, Look, you're not like a, a you're not like a World War II veteran with PTSD, okay? Like you're not someone that's being, you know, pinned up against a wall and violently raped at knife point or gunpoint. Like this is a this easy situation to say, no, I don't think so. And you know what? It's a first date and it's totally acceptable to just get up and walk out and leave. But she doesn't leave, she stays. And then she goes on to say, but the na- but the main thing was that he wouldn't let her move away from him. She uh, compared the pa- the path they cut across his apartment to football play. It was 30 minutes of me getting up and moving and him following and sticking his fingers down my throat again. It was really repetitive. It felt like a fucking game. Yeah, so apparently Aziz was doing this move where he was like putting his fingers in her mouth and like, you know, all this stuff. But okay, 30 minutes of getting up and moving away? Like, okay, so you already performed oral sex on him. So Aziz is probably thinking okay, this girl likes me and she's playing kind of like a hard to get. She's kind of teasing me. She's like moving around, playing hard to get. Men are dumb. They don't know. You got to explicitly tell them, I'm sorry, I'm not going to have sex with you. And the other thing is, why are you staying there for 30 minutes? My God, you're an adult human being that has functioning legs and you make choices. You need to own those choices and, and accept those choices. And you should have probably excused yourself and said, I had a lovely evening, but it's now time for me to go. After this repeated kind of onslaught of advances by Aziz, it's time to finally go. So then she says she used nonverbal cues to indicate how uncomfortable and distressed she was. Most of her discomfort was expressed in her pulling away and mumbling. I don't know about you, but that doesn't really count. Nonverbal cues, pulling away, mumbling. You know, and then she goes on to say that Aziz acted like an 18-year-old uh, inexperienced like guy who was like trying aggressively to get with her. Well, you know what? She acted like a really, really dumb, retarded, twelve-year-old little child. You have to tell tell the little Indian man no, and get your shit and leave. That's what an adult human being does. That's what a res- an adult human being that accepts their 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 and owns their responsibility and their choices that they make. That's what they do. Then she goes on to say that she, you know, she's like, he's trying, he's asking her, like, can I fuck you? Like, I want to fuck you. Where, where do you want me to fuck you? And again, Aziz is probably operating under the assumption that she already uh, performed oral sex on him and that she's still at his apartment and that she's playing a little hard to get and she's teasing him. And 
she says that she didn't want to have sex with him at all. Okay, so she didn't want to have sex with him at all. So maybe it's time that you tell him that, explicitly that, and then leave. But you know what? You didn't. You gave him a blowjob on the first date, and you went back to his apartment, and you sucked his dick on the first date. And then, you know, and like, I mean, just tell him like, hey, I'm cool with blowjobs on the first date, but not sex, okay? Adult human being responsible for your own choices. Then it goes on to say, Aziz, uh, he asked her if she was okay because she went to the bathroom. She was shaken or something, so she went to the bathroom. He asked her if she was okay. So he asks her, are you okay? And then he says, like, you know, let's just chill on the couch. It's all right. I mean, what kind of, what, what kind of sick, evil, vile monster asks another woman if she's okay? I mean, this is, this is so overblown here, you know? The whole night he asked her for consent, and he got it. He never forced her, and he never, you know, he never like did anything where he manipulated her with coercion or threats or violence. And she goes on to say, he sat back and pointed to his penis. Ansari instructed her to turn around, and then he sat back and pointed to his penis and motioned for me to go down on him. Hey, go down on me? And, and she says, and I did. I think I just felt really pressured. It was literally the most unexpected thing. Okay, there's a difference between feeling pressured and actually being pressured. Okay? There, again, you've been in his apartment now for over an hour. You, you've, you, you've made, like, you know, he's made multiple attempts to, like, try and get in your pants. You already gave him oral sex once. You already, you've, you've already indicated that you're into him and that you're staying there by doing those things. Okay? So this is, this is just a little ridiculous to me that you say, he sat back, pointed his penis, and motioned for me to go down on him, and I did. She says, I did. So she now blew him again for the second time. I mean, he asked her to suck his dick, and she did a second time. She must have been in the apartment now for, for like an hour and a half to two hours. She met him there. He wined and dined her there. Now she's sucking his little penis there for the second time, voluntarily, with no force, and she's an adult human being that should be responsible for her own poor, shitty choices. Okay? She says she, f she might have just felt really pressured. Again, a difference between her interpreting the situation as feeling pressured and actually being pressured. You know, like someone saying, suck my dick or else, or him grabbing her head and for, and thrusting it on, on him and things like that. Or you better, you know, like that sort of stuff. That was not the case. Then he brought her to a large mirror, bent over, asked, and asked her again. He asked her again, consent, where do you want me to fuck you? Do you want me to fuck you right here? Okay. She remembered, you know, like she was saying, like, I really don't think I'm going to do this and that sort of thing. And then he was like, all right, let's just chill with our clothes on. So he backed off again. He backed off. But she still hasn't left. She's now uh, given him oral sex twice, hasn't left, been at the apartment for over probably an hour and a half, hasn't said a word, just expecting him to read her mind. And, you know, Aziz is probably thinking things are going great because he got oral sex twice. They hooked up, they're making out, and she's still there. He's probably thinking, oh, man, she really likes me, <laughs> you know? 
I asked her to give me head, and she did. Again, this is great. I'm Aziz. I mean, what world are we living in here? So then they got dressed and sat side by side and watched Seinfeld on his couch. So she tells him she's not down to fuck. She's, she's you know, she's, but she stays and watches TV after multiple advances, after her feeling uncomfortable and all this sort of stuff, after giving him head twice, and she stays with Aziz and, and watches TV with him. Okay? So, you know, maybe you made some poor choices and you feel bad that Aziz wasn't who you expected him to be. And Aziz acted poorly you know, in a toxic way. But you know what? You met him and you agreed. And you're an adult and you made these choices willingly, you know? So it's just a bullshit excuse. She says, I, did, I didn't leave because I, I was stunned and shocked, right? It's not what I expected. Okay, right. Like I said, you know, you're not a ravaged and raped, you know, prisoner of war. You know, you're just trying to, you know, like, get some fame or something by by being there and staying there because you know he's famous and he has money so it's like oh you know but there's a difference right there's a difference between being physically forced by being threatened by the you know use of violence by being actually restrained and pressured i'm not saying that what aziz is his behavior is okay because i personally think it's disgusting and creepy and i would never feel comfortable i would never feel comfortable with another acting that way and around another human being I don't feel comfortable persuading and pressuring people to do things they don't want to do, you know? So that's just like, it's creepy. It's weird. It's, you know, I don't condone his behavior at all. It's not, not cool. But she's an adult too, and she's responsible as well. So, it, you know, the, the article ends with saying, Grace says her friends helped her grapple with the aftermath of her night with Aziz, with that monster Aziz Ansari. It doesn't say monster, it just added that. With Aziz Ansari. And then she says, it took a really long time for me to validate this as sexual assault. I was debating if this was an awkward sexual experience or sexual assault. And that's why I confronted so many of my friends and listened to what they had to say because I wanted validation. And, you know, because it was actually that bad. I mean, and then she texted him and said, like, you made me feel uncomfortable, blah, blah. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she says, yeah, it was really nice to meet you, but, you know, I don't think this is going to work out. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I apologize. You know, if you were sexually assaulted, you don't say it was nice to meet you and, and you know, oh, you know, this isn't going to work or whatever. I mean, the aftermath, my God, I mean, please, the story makes it harder for women who are real victims of sexual assault. I mean, Aziz Ansari might not be perfect, but, I mean, he hardly is, but he's not, he's not a vicious rapist. He's not an evil you know, rapists. This wasn't sexual assault. You know, it's it's it really wasn't. And and by labeling this sexual assault, it really does like it it, it 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 what it does is it makes men go, oh no, like you know, I have to be really really. I can't say anything around a woman. And then you know, men are being told not to do anything, and then they're not getting anything. And then you know, girls are you know, there's all these mixed messages that are being sent. And then it's like, we want to, we want to respect women and we want to care about women, but we don't know how, because we're not getting the messaging correctly because women tell us this. And then the culture tells us this, and then men tell us this, and then, you know, movies say this, and then music says this. And it's like, what are we supposed to do here? You know what I mean? It's like Aziz was, was being kind of a creep and he was being pushy and just like creepy, but she was also going along with it. And, you know, I really just feel like as a real man and a real feminist that I am, 
I want to be in situations where women feel comfortable expressing themselves. I want to be able to look into another woman's eyes and have her tell me exactly how she feels and what she's thinking. And I, your, your opinions matter. Your voice matters. Like you have the power to like stand up and say, no, you have the power to take responsibility and own the situation that you're in, you know? And, and, you know, if you feel uncomfortable, bring, put like mace in your purse or carry a knife or something. I mean, you know, if like, you know, but Aziz, I mean, he's like a little guy. He probably can't, you know, whatever I'm just saying, but like, take control of the situation, speak up and speak your mind. Like I want to live in a world where women feel empowered to like really truly own themselves and to own the, the, their, their, their lives and to be comfortable in situations with men. And I want men to know how to treat a woman and how to behave and how to act and how to respond. I mean, so this situation of this quote unquote sexual assault allegations, it's just chaos and all ends, you know? It's like everybody's like, fuck Aziz, he's terrible, he's a prick. And then there's like, Aziz didn't do anything wrong. He's the fucking man. This bitch is fucking cunt. You know, it's like, no, everybody's wrong on both sides. We have an unhealthy, toxic view of sexuality in our in our culture. We live in a repressed puritanical society. Men get toxic messaging. Women get toxic messaging. Nobody's real, open and honest, and nobody speaks the truth. And then we run into problems. And then you know, good people get their name tarnished and people act in ways that they know they shouldn't act in, but because the culture tells them to do a certain thing, they think this is what I got to do to score. This is what I got to do to get a woman. This is how I got to be. And it's just all totally wrong. And it creates such a huge mess. I mean, I, 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 I can't stress this enough. I feel so much love and compassion and empathy for people that are put in situations like this, but we need to get real. We need to quit and drop our teams and our ideologies and what we think should be and, and all this stuff and actually talk about what really is and how we can really improve that and how we can empower men to fully embrace vulnerability, accept responsibility, open up, have care, compassion, and love without being labeled and called fags and homos and pussies and, and, and weak and, and all that kind of stuff. And we need to empower women to be stronger, to voice their opinions, to say how they really feel, to put their foot down, to take a stand, to say no, to walk away, to take control of the situation, to take responsibility, to not create victims, but create empowered, responsible human beings living forthrightly in the world on a joint mission of, con of compassion and collaboration and recalibration of the human experience to find out what is true and what is right and what is meaningful. So how we can live together and how we can work together to make things better and to live in a world where we try and understand each other's point of view more and understand where each other's coming from so we can have happy, healthy lives and we can teach our children to have happy, healthy lives so that they can live correctly and honestly and fully experience the full human life that they are here to experience in a true, honest, and loving way. And let's leave all this stuff that brings tragedy and despair and turmoil to everybody and creates more chaos and problems and stop shouting at each other and labeling each other and saying, you don't know, and you're a man or you're a woman and you can't say that and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, we're not men. We're not women. We're not, you know, Republicans. We're not Democrats. We're not gay, straight, lesbian, bi, uh, you know, uh, brown-haired, brunette, blue-eyed. We're human beings. We're all human. We all have the same life source of consciousness that resides within us, that resides in all living things. We are all here 
for a reason, even if we're not, we are, and we are all the same thing, and we are all just trying to have a little love, a little happiness, and a little more beauty and joy and peace in our lives. And we don't need to fall into teams, and we don't need to fall into tribalism. We should treat each other as individuals, and we should treat the facts, let the facts speak for themselves, and let the chips fall where they may. Don't get attached by dogma and ideology and belief systems and teams. Just be what you think is right, and do what you think is right, and be what you really think you should be and try to be good, and do good, and try and understand other people. And I think that if we can do those things, if we can try and do those things, then we can prevent situations like this kind of thing from happening. We can prevent this social media hysteria of people getting called out for sexual assault and stuff like that, where it's really just uncomfortable sexual situations that you know, are unhealthy because of, the, you know, because of all this junk that we have in our society and stuff. And it really, it kind of like discredits and diminishes the, 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 pow, the, the actual women who face and the, the people in this world. You know, like I said, I mean, we're all human beings. So there's people in this world, men, women, whoever, that are violated, that are raped, that are sexually assaulted, that have their rights violated through force and coercion, who are physically, you know, forced and pressured into doing things either by threats of violence or forcefully by, 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 you know, like if, for example, if Aziz like ran to the door and like didn't let her leave, like that right there, he becomes a criminal right there. It becomes immoral. It's wrong, you know? So it's like, as long as we're making sure that we calibrate where we call people out and what we call people out for, and we're not just spraying a machine gun everywhere and saying everyone's a Nazi, that we actually, words have meanings. They have symbol, they have, they're symbols, their language is symbols, and they, they have power, and we give power to them, and it shapes the reality in which we inhabit. So let's take care of our words. Let's take care of ourselves and each other and meet each other with compassion and understanding and love and see God in everyone and know that, that we, can, that we really can do good and that we don't have to you know, have any animosity or any kind of evil intentions towards each other. But if we feel that coming up, that we can resist those urges to, to do bad things and to remember that we can always come back to what we are as the true primordial self of the infinite being that inhabits this human meat sack that we are. Okay, guys. <laughs> wow, that was quite the ending. But I love all of you very much. I love each and every single one of you. And I hope that uh, you enjoyed this podcast very much. It was a long one and um, a lot of, you know, some personal stuff in there some opinions in there. Let me know. You know, maybe I got some things wrong. Maybe maybe I'm not seeing things from uh the right way. Maybe I got some things right. I don't know. Let me know how you feel. Let me know what you think. Please message me uh anytime on any network, Facebook, Twitter. I'm at Mike Brank uh everywhere at Mike Brank. And on Instagram it's at it's Mikeadelic underscore podcast. That's Mikeadelic M-I-K-E-A-D-E-L-I-C underscore podcast and um follow me on instagram that's a new account and um please if you enjoy this show share it and and tell your friends about it and um subscribe you know it's on youtube it's on spotify it's on google play it's on stitcher it's on soundcloud it's on itunes whatever you do subscribe 
And if you really enjoy it, please leave a five-star rating and review so more people can hear this message if this is a message that you think is worthy of sharing. And um, like I said, if you don't, let me know and we'll talk about it. I'm always I'm open and willing to uh, have uh, lively debates with all of you. Um, please message me and I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much and uh, talk to you next time. Peace.